Hello and welcome to While You Were Steeping, a curatorial tea and culture podcast. I still don't know if we've earned that title, but we're going to stick with it for a while until until the standard drops. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, we'll get there. I'm Michael Mandelios. And I'm Hayden Rogers. And today you're stuck with just the two of us. We're going to delve into the history of the origin of tea as far as we could discover. <laughs> Yes, I'm very excited. Ghost noises, because, you know, history. Uh, (laughs) Right, sure. Yeah, I'm very excited. I found out a lot of interesting things, different origins of different aspects of tea. Mm -hmm. Okay, so are we... I don't know about you. I started really at the very, very, very beginning. Hmm. It's a very good place (laughs) to start. Yes. And... What I discovered was that I couldn't go much further because even just that that little beginning of an inkling of history was in and of itself more info than I could get through in a day. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, But I sort of went, I looked at some legends, some tea legends of the origin of tea Mm -hmm. from different countries. Mm -hmm. And then uh, also looked at sort of the introduction of tea, the origin of tea in the UK. And tea sort of tra- okay. traditions of the, in the UK. So that's sort of where I went. Okay. Well, who's going to get started? Uh, I guess you should because, you know, you have the original history of tea. You know, the, the true The history. origin of the origin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I delved into the story of Shen Nong, which is uh, the, the mythical history of the origin of tea as told in Chinese history and Chinese mythology, I suppose. And Jane mentioned it uh, in our interview. And it was also mentioned actually in a TED-Ed talk uh, presented by Shunan Tang, uh, who I hope that we can get the chance to chat with on our podcast at some point. Shunan uh, runs a tea store and... Um, and a curatorial business in New York City. And in her History of Tea talk on TED-Ed, she covers Shen Nong for about a minute and then moves on to, as you said, the proliferation of tea around the world. And what's amazing about the story of Shen Nong to me is, of course, much like any fabulous old story, there's a million different versions of it, and some of them are rooted in fact, and then most of it is rooted in um, storytelling passed on generation to generation. So one version of the story says um, that when he was born, he was born with the head of a bull, Mm. and then within about five days, he was able to walk and talk. And then within about, I think, a week or something, he had teeth. And then by the age of three, he was big enough and strong enough to plough a field. Um, so we're, we're clearly working with with a mythological um, character here. Now, the name Shen Nong actually uh, means divine farmer or a god of farming or agriculture in um, in the Chinese language. So... Again, it's pretty clear that we're not dealing with a real person, except that then there's another account of the story which says or claims that he was an emperor and not a farmer at all. Mm. Um, so there's there's a whole bunch of versions of this same story, but they all have the same kind of uh, similar meeting point, which is that one day he was trying a, a whole bunch of different herbs, as he was known to do, and accidentally poisoned himself with as many as 72 different plants. And then I love that. he came upon tea. Well, and, and the, the, the specificity of 72. Yes, yes. It, and it, 
in multiple legends that it's seventy two, like specifically. Yes, and and that is one of the few constants actually mm, in every version mm. of the story that I managed to find. They all say seventy two. But my favourite is in every single version of the story, whether an emperor or a farmer, he accidentally stumbled upon the tea in hilarious and bizarre ways. So one was that he got poisoned and then he had tea in his hand. Um, And so he just decided, well, I'm about to die, so I may as well eat this thing in my hand. (laughs) Then there's another version that says that um, tea leaves fell into a cauldron. Now, this applies more to the emperor story, that the emperor demanded for um, water to be boiled and brought to him. And as a servant was bringing the water, a tea leaf fell into the cauldron. And then he tasted the water and thought, oh, that's that's interesting and delicious. Um, My personal favorite is that a tea tree spontaneously burst into flames. What? And as it did... (laughs) A leaf blew off, a cooked leaf blew off this combusting tree and landed in um, a cauldron of water. Uh, so he already had it kind of pre-brewed, as it were. It's the Big Bang of and Tea. And then... <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Big Bang of Tea. And then the last one, um, which seems to be the most common if we're going with the Divine Farmer story, is that tea leaves fell into his mouth as he was laying there poisoned and dying and he chewed on them and they revived him. I actually, I, I um, interestingly, I have even more variations. Okay. This. I want to hear them go. <laughs> okay. One was, one's very similar. It's just that the emperor was drinking boiled water and the leaves flew into his cup. Mm-hmm. Um, then, yeah, I have, have the, the farmer one and the, and the leaves fall into his mouth. But then a really interesting one is that, Shenong had transparent skin. Oh, yes. I forgot to mention this. Directly observe the effects of the plants. And he, again, the 72 um, herbs, some of poisonous, and he tries tea and it clears the toxins. And that's actually a a common theme I found too, was that the tea was like restorative. Yeah. And and very much a a go-to ingredient for after trying anything. So to clarify for our listeners, when Hayden says transparent skin, specifically, a lot of the myths refer to his, just his belly being see-through. And so he would literally look down at his stomach and watch the effects of whatever he had ingested and how they, um, how they affected his digestive system. Um, which, so then, Hayden, you would have discovered then that there's a there's a whole tome um, that's been that's been written as the history of Shennong and the history of uh, agriculture in China. Oh, I did not discover this. <laughs> ah, well, there we go. So the <laughs> the classic the the classic tale of Shennong then became effectively uh, an archive or an anthology of um, of of herbs and herbs and agricultural properties. So basically a list of, I think it's something like over 350 uh, herbal ingredients and, and what their properties were, whether toxic or um, whether they could be used as antidotes or, and you know, some, there's one classification that's literally just, it won't hurt you and it's interesting. And then there's, you know, (laughs) another classification that's like, this will kill you. And, you know, bee stings and snake venom and whatnot are in there. Um, but yeah, and that all comes from, from the story of Shennong. What's interesting is that if Shennong were in fact an emperor, the time at which they ascribe this story 
predates any ability to prove whether or not this dynasty existed. Mm-hmm. So if there were ever an emperor that were Shennong, um, they claim that it would have been around the time of the Xia dynasty, which predates written records. It predates um, well, writing in China. And there's also no archaeological evidence to prove that that dynasty existed. So basically there could have been an emperor named Shennong and there's no way to prove or disprove it. Right. Yeah. So, speaking of which, how far back do you have the legend of Shennong going? I uh, have it going back um, to pretty much a max of 4,000 years ago, which is pretty mind-boggling. Yeah, so 4,000 is is the consensus that I got to as well with all of the sources that I looked at. Well, actually, 4,000 was, um, 4, was the actual it's like the actual factual time period that we've actually been able to backdate some sort of record of t2 so like it could even be earlier which is insane so shunlan teng's history of t ted talk that i mentioned before says uh that there are sources that suggest as far as six thousand years but i couldn't find <laughs> anything to corroborate that um everything i found uh. was four thousand the same as you so the myth um the myth dates back to about 2800 bc um, there were tea cake remains found in a tomb in Xi'an uh, from mm. from only two thousand years ago. Uh, but yeah, most of the, most of the sources seem to suggest about four thousand years, so two thousand BC. Um, which is you're right, mind boggling to think that you know that that we're still using tea in the same way. Yeah. Oh, another fun fact: the the Latin term for tea tree is Camellia sinensis, which I think is really interesting just because, of course, we know that uh, Sinitic or anything with sign really at the beginning denotes origin from China, of course. Um, so I, th- I thought that was a cool little, for, for all of the language geeks out, mm. of, out there, I thought that was really interesting. That is cool. Um, okay, well, I actually have a couple of other legends of the origin of tea from other countries as well. Go, hit me. So they're obviously less uh, reputable because they they arrived in these cultures much later than in China. However, India and Japan both have separate myths, but they share kind of a, a, actually a common character. So in India, it's the Fakir Dharma, but in Japan, it's uh, a character called Bodhidharma, which, okay, you know, similarity there. And mm-hmm. also there's a similarity in that uh, both of them were sort of doing like a, a meditation or a devotion for seven years. So mm-hmm. in India, uh, he was doing a uh, sleep deprivation thing for seven years, right? He was like, I'm not going to sleep for seven years to devote myself to Buddhism. And I read different uh, accounts on when he sort of failed at this, but he basically... Uh, felt himself falling to sleep after maybe five years. <laughs> and uh What a wimp. He what a wimp. <laughs> and he made himself like found this bush and was like, I'm just gonna in my desperation make something and a beverage out of this bush. And it uh, you know, revived him and allowed him to complete his uh his seven year ritual. Fascinating. So, yeah. And then uh Japan's Myth is actually a bit more gruesome, which oh. is that he, he was um again doing a vow of no sleep for seven years, um, but he fell asleep 
well, some some say like just on one of the nights he fell asleep, but I read one that said the first night, which I kind of like a lot because it's like he's like I'm gonna do this for seven years and then fell asleep immediately. Um, yeah, but which by the way, Japanese myths tend to really love irony like that. Um, <laughs> just you know, in, in my experience as a Japanese <laughs> mythologist, <laughs> no, um, uh, but. In all seriousness, that's that's great. That comic irony is is beautiful. Yeah, I loved it. Um, but he was so angry with himself that he fell asleep that he cut off his eyelids and oh. th- threw them to the ground. And from his eyelids sprouted tea plants, which he then made a beverage out of. I was like, this is nice. And then other people started hearing about this and how it was like restorative, made you not sleepy and, you know, Cured what ailed you, and it became you know famous. And ever since, the tea has been known as like a divine gift. And interestingly, the characters in Japanese used for eyelid is the same used for tea. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, when you say the characters, you mean you mean the kanji, the the symbols. I assume so. Yeah. Amazing. That's so fascinating. I would definitely love to to look into that. Speaking of. There's a really interesting uh, story about the etymology of tea and how tea has uh, travelled across the world has similarly influenced uh, how different cultures uh, refer to it. And I found an article about this years ago. I think it came up hilariously enough on my Facebook and I think we probably discussed it when we were first talking about starting this podcast um, was, was, you know, how interesting the history of tea was and this article in particular always stuck out to me and it basically suggests that if tea was introduced to a region or a culture by land chances are its word has derived from the original Chinese origin uh, of the word cha Uh, so if you travel effectively by the Silk Road or you know across across uh, the world by land, all the way to Persia, Turkey, uh, the Middle East, to anywhere where they speak Arabic, Russia, uh, India, they all have derivatives of uh, ocha or, or just cha, which become cha, chai, che, shai, etc. If it travelled by boat, on the other hand, that's where we're more likely to get words uh, that led us to the word tea in English. So te, te, tea, etc., um, or all of those uh, traveling by boat. What kind of shocked me, though, when I, when I went to look into this again for today mm. was that there's, there's a degree to which it's speculated that maybe the, the traveling is not necessarily the only reason for that linguistic difference. So, for example... In Japan and mm-hmm. in Korea, they still use uh, they still use cha derivatives. Um, and what's really interesting there is that in those areas, it actually probably has a lot more to do with the fact that they share written language components with Chinese. You know, they share kanji, they they share characters, and so it was always more likely that they were going to stick to that original um, character of cha. But what's really cool is that cha may actually be a mistake in the first place because Ooh. in one of the original... Yeah, I know. In one of the original um, 
transcriptions in that Shenong uh, text that we were talking about before, T was actually referred to as uh, something that looks to me on paper like it might be T or T, which uh, refers to uh, bitterness, basically. And we think that the reason that it became Cha may be because of a misstroke uh, in a in a calligraphy, so in a transcription of the word, um, one one missing line may have resulted in t becoming cha because the characters looked different, um, wow. which I just think is really cool and and amazing. Uh, so that's where we that's possibly where we got the word cha from. And then my last favorite <laughs> thing is I thought that when T traveled by boat and became te te etc in European countries, I assumed that that was because of some uh, European bastardization of the word at some point, that it was a European change in the language. But actually, it has to do with the fact that uh, those countries that inherited T by sea would have imported it from the Minna province in China. And in the Minna area, that's a coastal area, which makes sense because, of course, then that led to all of the sea-based um, importing and exporting. And in the Minna variety of Chinese, um, the character for Cha is pronounced Te. Uh? So, so it's actually just a different Chinese origin. It's not wow. a it's not a newly acquired uh, European origin for the word. Well, hilariously, there is a legend uh, about mm. how it is named T in the UK. Oh, uh, okay. Which is that when it was transported first to the UK, which we'll get to, um, it was in crates that were labelled. So it was from Portugal. And um, in these crates labelled Transport de Avas Aromaticus, which could be abbreviated into T-E-A. And that's the legend uh, of how it became T. <laughs> fascinating. I, I'm skeptical because yep, we have so much to suggest that it's not that, but that's Especially, amazing. T2. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, but I guess on this subject, uh, the first person to bring T to the UK, well, this isn't probably not the first person to bring T to the UK, but the first person to bring it into popularity was the uh, wife of King Charles II, who was a princess from Portugal, named Catherine of Braganza. And she uh, brought the tea with her in these crates um, to the palace when she was married, and she enjoyed tea. And, of course, because she's the queen, everyone's like, what is this? We have to get on board. And so then it became this... You know, actually, it was like a status symbol and actually very expensive because it was, you know, imported goods. <laughs> it's you know, yeah, like, you know, importing your, I don't know, coffee from Italy or something <laughs> like. And taking months to get there. Yes. Yes. But speaking of coffee, the UK, apparently the reason that tea was so popular, became so popular is because the UK, because of their wars with uh, France and Spain were kind of cut out of the Mediterranean trading of coffee. Huh. And so there's a theory that that, you know, led to the rise of popularity of tea because they didn't really have much access to coffee. So who knows if history was different. If, 
That's would amazing. Be that popular? Well, I'm sure it would still be popular because China. And but. also particularly interesting because uh, the Portuguese, when they arrived in China, they arrived quite a while before anybody else did, and so. It- when they discovered, and I use that term very loosely, of course, tea loosely. in China. <laughs> no. Oh, <laughs> God. Okay, moving on. When they discovered tea in China and brought it back, they they did still have the original um, the original word uh, to, to derive it from. So, they still referred to it as cha, which is why Portuguese is one of the very few European languages that uses cha for tea instead of something derived from te. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's so cool. Into our blog, I'll link this article um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, and it's got this gorgeous map that shows you all these different areas in the world, and they're colour-coded by uh, which ones use te and which ones use derivatives of cha. <laughs> and it's really interesting because Portugal is this little pink dot uh, in the midst of a sea of blue because all uh. of the rest of Europe, of course, inherited tea by boat, basically. Yes, that's so cool. Much later. Yeah. yeah. Well, also... This is kind of a bit off topic, but I just, I came across the fact and we might come to it later because I feel like there's going to be maybe an episode about the East India Trading Company, but for sure, just this very interesting fact that the clipper boat, which is the fastest boat that has been invented, sailboat that is, um, was invented specifically because they wanted to get tea back to the UK faster. It was invented Amazing. specifically because the tea trade became so like competitive that they needed faster boats to try and get tea from China to the UK faster. Capitalism at work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but apart from that, I, I did look into both the origins of afternoon tea and also the tea bag. So afternoon tea was invented by Anna Russell who was the Duchess of Bedford. Wow. And I love this story because (laughs) she basically invented afternoon tea because nobles, this is what I read, nobles were served dinner quite late, sort of about 8pm-ish, you know, quite late at night. And she literally just Mm -hmm. got too hungry in the afternoon, so she invented afternoon tea so you could have a snack. I am genuinely astounded that that the concept of afternoon tea can actually be attributed to just one person. Yeah, but she literally invented it. And then Queen Victoria was her friend and she like made it, formalised it by inviting people to afternoon tea at her, at the back, at Buckingham Palace. Heaven. (laughs) Which I, yeah, I'm just obsessed with that, that she just invented a huge tradition in the UK because she was hungry. I identify. So what was it you were saying about the origins of the tea bag? Uh, okay, so the tea bag is can also be traced to one person. I, I thought there'd be like a lot of myth and legend surrounding this as well, but no. Um, nineteen oh eight, Thomas Sullivan was a tea and coffee importer from America, right? And he mm-hmm. shipped tea in silk bags, and people just it was just literally just packaging, but people just thought you were supposed to steep tea in these silk bags. And because it like sort of worked. No way. It just sort of worked really well. And so then that's how it got started. Um, Obviously, there's a whole industry later, but like that's the original. What a waste of silk. (laughs) Yeah. 
but amazing that it's but amazing. by accident. Yeah. I lo- and don't don't we love a story where someone discovers something by accident? Well, that which I mean seems to have been the origin of tea. The origin of this. <laughs> oh my goodness! Full circle. All right, let's get straight into reviewing these teas then. We're going to jump straight into it. We're playing hardball today because we've got how many teas to get through? Three teas. Tea tasting time. Ooh. Excellent. That so, was three teas as first... well. Did we just clock that? Tea tasting time. Tea tasting time. Wow. Three teas. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Maybe that's what we're going to call it from now on. Our review section is officially the three teas. So (laughs) our first set of teas have been sent to us from the Rabbit Hole. Uh, The Rabbit Hole are an Australian organic tea bar based in Mortdale in New South Wales. And they've uh, got an amazing collection online. If you head to their website, which is just therabbithole.com.au, it's a gorgeous looking website. Um, They've got a whole, a huge range of teas. And especially they've got an Australian native teas collection. So they've actually sent to us um, a little sample pack. And you can get this sample pack online if you want to as well. And it's specifically five of their featured native teas. Mm. Um, And we're going to go through two of them today. And then we're going to tackle another few later um but we we particularly love these guys because yeah they've got a whole collection of australian native teas yeah so the first one i think we should start light we should start with the strawberry gum green i'm really excited for this one this one sounds really interesting to me yeah so uh this tea includes some green tea censure and then also wild harvested strawberry gum now, I didn't even know strawberry gum was a thing, but apparently... No, never. but you could really see it in the in the vial. Oh, by mm. the way, when you order these sample packs, they come in these gorgeous glass vials with little cork screws and, um, and then infuser. it also comes with a beautiful infuser. Yeah, it was stunning. And as soon as I grabbed this vial, the first thing that stuck out to me was those little strawberry gum flowers. They're this gorgeous pink, um, vibrant flash in the midst of the green leaves well actually those are purple cornflower petals but no way yeah this strawberry gum there you go if you look carefully into the vial you can actually see pieces of of leaf that look like gum leaves i have a big one i can see and that's actually we're actually infusing gum leaf and then we have yeah the cornflower petals and that's the three that that's it's just that's it simple so Hopefully we can get, well, I'm fairly certain that the petals won't add extra flavor, but that's even better. Now we brewed this for three to four minutes. I did a solid exactly three and a half because I'm, you know, (laughs) pedantic like that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And diplomatic. Uh, At 80 degrees, you always, with pretty much any green tea, unless specified otherwise, you want to go for 80 degrees um, because otherwise you will burn the tea and it will taste awful. And a, um, a little so... trick with getting 80 degree water without having a thermometer. Some jugs have thermometers for this sort of thing or like modes specifically, some fancy ones. But uh, I just have a stove top kettle. So what I do is I put 20% cold water into my cup and then fill the rest up with boiling water and then voila, you have 80 degree water. It usually works absolutely perfectly. Shall we, shall we go? Let's go. All right. Mm. Oh, there it is. Oh, okay. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's nice. I'm surprised that you can, like, I am shocked that there 
this what, what strawberry gum is. What is strawberry gum? I didn't know we had mm. gum leaves that taste like strawberries. But it's amazing. It's got that really kind of bubblegum strawberry taste to it. it mm. It's it's almost like it's artificial. It's not, but it's that gorgeous. Um, you know, like when you chew anything that's been artificially flavored strawberry. Yeah. Uh, it, it's that really great, super sweet. But it kind of caught me off guard because for a moment I drank it and I was almost disappointed because I thought, oh, it just tastes like regular green tea. And then it hit me mm. about maybe I'm going to mm. say it took a solid two seconds for that strawberry gum to kick in. Yeah, it is a background, isn't it? And mm. it is, I don't know about you, but my my brew, it might just be the way I brewed it, but it's, it's quite light. Like it's quite subtle. Mm. Well, they do recommend just the one teaspoon per cup and- I agree. It's very subtle. It's um, it's almost faint. I like it. I'd be interested to try it with a little bit more, maybe a teaspoon and a half. See what would happen. Yeah. Um, I because I I really enjoy this flavor, and I I would love to see what would happen if you made it kind of pack a bit more of a punch. Yeah. The smell is also incredible. The smell is the smell leads you mm. actually leads you to believe that it's going to be quite a strong tea, but then you're yeah. sort of a bit surprised. What I like about this as well is I, I would happily drink this any time of day, um, mm. which, you know, sounds obvious with a green tea, but I, I, I could have this first thing in the morning or I could have it, you know, 10 minutes before going to bed and I think it wouldn't, I think it would be fine either way. Yeah. Delish. Mm. Gorgeous. Solid, solid recommend for that one as well. I guess we should move on to our next one, which is bush lemon and ginger. So... We all know uh, our standard lemongrass and ginger tea, very famous herbal tisane from Asia. But we have bush lemon and ginger. So this is, like, again, from the Australian native collection. So the ingredients are lemon myrtle, ginger, lemongrass, and wild harvested gulban, which I don't even know what that is. Mm. I'm assuming... No, let's, let's find out what gulban is. Is that G-U-L-B-A-N? B-A-R-N. B-A-R-N, okay. Um. Ah, it's it's an Australian tea. Um, it's a plant, oh, that's en- endemic to northern Queensland and northeastern parts of the Northern Territory. There you go. So it's, a, it's specifically an Australian tea leaf. Do we have any notes on how what it tastes like? Uh, no, I, I don't. Well, why don't we find out? Wow. Um, also worth noting that it's, this tea is hand-harvested by the uh, Alawa community in the Minyiri in the far northern territory of Australia. Oh, that's fabulous. An that's ancient amazing. leaf that soothes cost colds and can be enjoyed hot or cold. Okay. Okay. Let's have a, let's have a okay, try. Here we go. Mm. Oh, that's nice. Obviously, immediately, it's a very, like... Very aromatic and then very like strong tea. Mm. What I like about this as well is that the ginger isn't the first thing you taste. Me too. It's it's the native lemony flavors that really actually take up the bulk of the the flavor of this tea. Mm. I have to say it's it's really nice. It is. It is really nice. It's not jumping out to me as being particularly different from many other lemongrass and ginger teas that I've had. Okay. I think that's fair. Ex- uh, I, my, my exception would be that 
It's almost a citrus tea. It's almost not even ginger. Yeah, that's true. The ginger, the yeah, the ginger really isn't the dominant flavor here, which is a good thing. Although, in fairness, I do love to steer towards a lemongrass and ginger, particularly if I'm sick. Um, mm. And in that instance, I would want more ginger, probably because I'd also probably then balance that out with honey. Yeah, I think this would go nicely with honey, but I think the honey would overpower it potentially. Yeah. So, uh, by no means am I saying I don't like it. I do like it. It's just not standing out as my favourite so far. Yeah, I think if you were expecting it to be lemongrass and ginger tea, not so much. But if you are expecting it to be like a native, like a lemon myrtle tea even, mm. I, I, I think that it sort of fits that bill. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last tea. Last tea for the day. Oh, did we did we cover brewing instructions for that tea? I don't think we did. No, we didn't. So that's a solid uh, four to five minutes recommended there at a hundred degrees. So nice and simple. Um, not herbal tisanes are really easy to. You can't really screw them up. Um, you can. I I actually just left mine steeping in there. So herbal with with normal tea, your tea is going to start getting bitter after a while. But with herbal teas, uh, it just leaches more flavor out the longer it's steeping. Uh, and it doesn't get bitter in most situations. So mm. I actually just left mine in there. Fabulous. All right. Well, let's move on to the last tea for the day. Okay. Our last tea is called Dragon Pearls. Now, we've specifically... This one's from Elmstock again. And yes, we do have another giveaway. More about that later. Um, the reason that we've chosen to review Dragon Pearls today is because... It fits into our origin story very well, as I, in my research, came across an origin story for this exact kind of tea. Um, the the legend goes that a uh, young girl was looking for a remedy to cure her sick brother, and she was told to go into this cave where a dragon lived, and she ventures in. The dragon decides to help her, and he flies up into the sky and gives a mournful cry and a pearl appears on his neck and falls to the ground and where it it lands in the cave a plant started growing and the girl took some of the plant oh the, the well the dragon told her to look after the plant which she did and then he told her to take some plant and make a, a drink out of it so she dried it out next to some jasmine and that's how it gets its jasmine flavor, because it's a jasmine tea, green tea. And she formed the, the tea into a ball, like the pearl that fell from the dragon's neck. And that's why we have dragon pearls, according to this one legend that I, that I read. <laughs> it's worth noting as well that sometimes uh, this tea might also be referred to as Buddha's Tears mm. tea. Uh, so, and in the Elmstock catalogue, they've got a whole bunch of different green teas. So this one they also refer to just as their Lungju jasmine. Um, and yeah, just a lovely fresh and light uh, jasmine tea that, there's, that they've hand-rolled into these gorgeous little pearl balls. Um, they're tiny, aren't they? Yeah, and adorable. And they unfurl as, you, um, as they s- steep in the water. And you don't need many of them. No, so you only need about six for a cup of tea. Yeah, half half a teaspoon or so. Um, brewed it. I think this was a hundred degrees for about four minutes as well. Four to five minutes. Uh, it would be eighty degrees again. Ah, it's green yes. Tea. 
Yes, that's right. Oh, actually, no, no it does no, say no, boiling these, water. These ones were boiling. Yeah, these ones were yep. boiling. So, did you do yours it, at 80? I did. Okay, well, let's see then the difference. And, in fact, if, if I remember correctly, um, this tea in particular, because it's a whole leaf tea, so it's a whole leaf scrounged up into a ball, so it actually is a bit more immune to becoming bitter um, than a, a tea that's sort of cut up into little pieces. Mm. Okay. Right. Okay. Let's go. Mmm. Wow. That's oh. delicious. Okay. That's that's amazing. Okay, my first thought mm. is that it's a great jasmine mm-hmm. tea, just generally. Mm-hmm. But what I really love is, and I can't remember if I ever made you try this when we lived together. Have you ever had kuding tea? It's the rolled leaf. It's one single rolled leaf. I don't think I have. Okay, so I tried kuding tea when I was in China when I was about 15. And it's the most amazing thing. They, when they're telling you about it and when they're selling it to you, they, it comes in this one singular long rolled leaf. And theoretically, the half-life of this tea is 24 hours, but you can steep it theoretically un- unlimited times. In, in that 24-hour space. So you can just make cup after cup after cup after cup for a day, and then after that, you should stop using it. And what's really amazing about kuding tea is that um, uh, the, the Chinese people who were familiar with it would do this very strange thing. She said there was this muscular trick that they would do after drinking a cup of it where they would reach um, the tip of their tongue kind of towards the back of their throat, and somehow that would unlock an aftertaste in this tea. And so it was like a bitter tea that then had this gorgeous aftertaste that would come through if you drank it with the correct technique. Wow. I'm telling you this story because there's an aftertaste in this jasmine tea, these these dragon pearls that we're trying right now, that really reminds me of that tea. It's got this gorgeous light bitterness that then unfurls into something else. Mm. Well, actually... Having you having said that reminds me that uh, in my experience with this kind of tea, you can actually rebrew because it's because it's a, a whole leaf again. You can actually rebrew this tea, and you can actually leave it. I've again left mine steeping in the cup for this whole time, mm. so you it it does actually just impart more flavour and and is fairly immune to becoming a bitter tea. Ah. Oh, this is this is gorgeous. This mm. is really That's- yeah. Classy green tea, that is. Very, very different to the strawberry gum green from yeah. uh, Rabbit Hole. I love them both in very, very different ways. Um, yeah. I'm, oh, I'm wondering if this might be my winner for the day. I think I think it is mine. Mm. Which is convenient because mm. we are giving away two packets of dra- Dragon Pearls today people are going to think we've planned this people are going to think we've rigged the reviews somehow in in accordance to which ones we have to give away well it's untrue and they'd be wrong <laughs> okay so what what what's the giveaway this week hayden what what do people need to do to get themselves a sweet bag of these gorgeous dragon pearl teas okay so we are doing a, another giveaway on instagram again uh and again, on your stories or on your feeds, we just want you to post a photo of you doing a tea selfie. Uh, whatever that means to you, in fact. 
we, we want to know what a tea selfie means to you. And uh, just post that tag steeping podcast at steeping podcast. If you want us to repost the selfie, make sure that you keep it G rated. Yeah, because we, we'll, we'll definitely repost your selfies on, on our uh, story. And yeah, we'll, we'll choose a winner from those people and contact you to uh, get those teas to you. Well, it's one tea. You only get one tea, but we'll contact you and get it to you. So, if you've been listening to our reviews of the fabulous teas that we've tried so far from Elmstock and the Rabbit Hole, maybe you're thinking that you'd like us to try one of your teas if you're a tea store owner or a tea proprietor or a tea manufacturer in Australia or around the world. If you're able to deliver within Australia, give us a bell. You can contact us by email at steepingpodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on any of our social media platforms and we would love to try your teas and have a good chat about them. That's right. And if you uh, are a tea historian or researcher yourself and you find error or fault with any of our facts on this podcast, please do not hesitate to get in touch with us and set us right because we're here to educate and inform. Ourselves, mostly. We're, we're learning yeah. <laughs> for ourselves. So we definitely need setting straight if we've, if we've come across misinformation or even if you just come across stories or... Um, or myths that maybe are slight variations on the ones we've talked about so far. Give us a ring. Let us know. Absolutely. We want to know anything and everything that you find out about tea. Okay. Well, I think that's it for this week. We'll see you next week as we delve further into tea history, tea culture, tea pop culture, and everything else that we can possibly think about tea. Absolutely. Tea infinity and beyond. No, stop. I hate it. It's not going to happen. Hmm. While You Were Steeping is a That's Not Canon Productions podcast. For more information, head to that'snotcanon.com. Canon with one N.